Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 35. We're going to read a prophetic text. We're going to read it out of order, but it's a short chapter. It's only 10 verses. I feel like the Lord would like to minister to us today, so I'm going to do my best to just get out of the way. Isaiah chapter 35, we'll read from verse 3 to 10, but I'd like to start with verse 8. Isaiah says, a highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks in that way. How many of you know it takes a really long time to build a highway? For a few years, my wife and I lived in Dalmany. After we moved back from Reading, we bought a house in Dalmany with my parents' help, and they decided to redo the highway that runs, runs north-south from Dalmany to connect to Highway 12. I forget what number it is, but they were repaving this highway, and it took them an eternity to repave this highway. And have you ever noticed that they're never working when you're driving by, and you're like, I don't like, don't get me wrong, I'm not criticizing them. I know lots of people make fun of like road crews and construction workers. I believe they're doing real work and they're working real hard. It just never happens when I'm driving by. It's always like one person's working and 20 or 30 people are like standing around, you know? And that's always hard on my heart because I'm like, I almost want to pull over and help you just get going a little bit more. Like, grab a shovel and be like, what, what can I do? You want me to move gravel around or something? No, we got to wait for Bob with the steam roller. He's got to come through. <laughs> Only Bob can do this. Well, where's Bob? He's on lunch right now, but he's going to be back real soon. It's three o'clock. Yeah, it's his second lunch. It's like, when is this highway going to be done? And it just seems like that's true of all highways, right? The joke, of course, that everyone knows is that in Saskatchewan, you have two seasons, winter and construction. And I find myself in Saskatchewan driving through the spring and summer as construction starts on all the major arteries thinking, isn't it going to be so nice when the construction is done and the weather is nice and we'll be able to drive on these roads just as they are? And then it snows and the machines are still out and you're like, oh, there really is no other season than just winter and construction. They repair the roads, and then we drive on the, on the snow-covered, gravel-covered, salt-covered roads, and those are the only real two options. We're repairing them, and then we're wrecking them in that order, just back and forth. <laughs> but what's happening in Isaiah is Isaiah is prophesying to the dispossessed people in exile. He's saying that a king is going to come, and the king is going to restore the road back from your exile to Zion, to Jerusalem. You're dispossessed. You are not in the place you want to be. And you long for your home. And when the king comes... A highway is going to be restored that leads you from where you are back to the homeland you have longed for. Now, of course, if you think of yourself in the middle of exile, if you think of yourself being dispossessed from your home, imagine leaving in the middle of the night, imagine being essentially kidnapped 
and forced at gunpoint to live in a different country. All your stuff, all your photos, all your priceless possessions, all your family treasures, they're left in the house gathering dust. And you and your descendants have to live somewhere else for 400 years. The exile only lasted 70 years, but even when they returned home, it wasn't really their home because they were still in enemy-occupied territory. So if you can put yourself in the, in the headspace of someone who is not living where they belong. I remember being in the Middle East and, and being in services with Filipino workers who were basically in modern indentured slavery. They would fly into the Middle East to build buildings. And they would literally put sometimes up to 30 men living in one sea can. And they would not pay them enough to really even make it home. And then these men who were trying to provide for their families would be able to wire their entire paychecks home to the Philippines. So they were basically living off the generosity of these, country, of these companies who had hired them for much less than they were worth. Trapped in these sea cans, working sometimes 12 to 14 hours a day to the point of exhaustion. And sometimes people would just die on the construction site. And their body wouldn't even be able to go home. You would interview someone and they would, you would say, where are you from? And they would say, I'm from Egypt. It turns out that they are not from Egypt. They're from Dubai. They were born in Dubai. Their father was born in Dubai. His father was born in Dubai. But they are Egyptian, therefore they are from Egypt. Because if you live in the United Arab Emirates, you're not allowed to own land unless you're, uh, unless you're of the royal family, essentially. So everyone is dispossessed. Everyone who is not part of the right ethnicity is dispossessed. It's hard for us to put ourselves in this mindset. Then again, maybe it isn't so hard because our lives are not the way we want them to be. Some of us deal with sickness. Some of us have issues in our marriage or in our extended family. Some of us don't make enough money to live. And we carry with us brokenness and contradiction in our lives, and we know that God loves us and wants the best for us, and so we're faced with this contradiction every day. We know we belong to heaven, and yet we live with the contradiction here on earth, and we feel like sojourners in exile because we know the way the world is supposed to be, and yet it's not yet that way, and so we struggle with the difficulties and the contradictions of life. I thought God wanted to bless me, but I don't have enough money to pay for this bill. I thought God wanted my healing, yet I'm dealing with sickness. I thought he's the resurrection and the life, yet my loved one has died. So though many of us do not feel like we're in exile from a physical homeland, from a spiritual homeland we do, because we long for the day then the world, where the world will be made right, and yet we suffer and struggle under the way the world presently is. This is what the prophet Isaiah says to us. 
Verse 3, encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with an anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance. The recompense of God will come. He will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. The scorched land will become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, its resting place, grass becomes reeds and rushes. A highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks in that way, and no fools will wander on it. No lion will be there, nor any vicious beast. These will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. I'm here this morning to bring a word of encouragement to the exhausted. I'm here this morning to do some small part to strengthen your feeble knees. If I can be honest with you, I will confess that this past season of my life has been one of the most spiritually discouraging I have ever had to face. So if y'all are feeling awesome, then I'm just up here preaching to myself. And quite frankly, I'm okay with that. Because here's what the prophet Isaiah comes to say. I know your life is in contradiction. I know not everything is the way it's supposed to be. I know you're exhausted. I know you're anxious. But I have good news for you anyway. Your God is coming to save you. We are the people who believe that God saves us. That we cannot save ourselves. That no amount of effort and self-will, no amount of striving, no amount of spiritual enlightenment, no amount of personal discipline can ever make up for the need we have for our God to save us. We cannot struggle or strive our way into freedom. We need a divine miracle to intervene on our behalf. We are still the people who believe in a rescuing and saving God. And yes, we can participate with his salvation, but we cannot earn it or deserve it. Instead, we cry out from our place of need and from our place of contradiction, rescue us. Oh God, save us. And we cry out in the middle of an exile and in the middle of a wilderness. And the, and the prophet Isaiah says to the people, he says, speak words of encouragement to those who are exhausted. To those who are tired out, who are weary, who are worn from the way the world is. 
And then the lame will leap like a deer. The saving, transforming grace of God comes after the weary hear the word. You have to understand this. The people who are lost in exile are longing for a redeemer. And Isaiah says to them, speak to the ones who are tired out and say to them, your God is coming to rescue you. And then God comes to rescue them. What's happening? What's happening is those who long for rescue are feeling worn out. They're feeling tired and they're feeling under the weight of their own problems and their own pain and their own contradiction. And then the word of the prophet comes to them and he says, your God is coming to save you. And what happens? Faith ignites in their heart. Paul says in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. All I'm trying to do today is create a spark of hope that contradicts your circumstances. You may feel dry. You may feel worn out. You may feel weary. I'm here to tell you that the word of the Lord is coming to you to ignite a spark of hope within your heart. And even though you're in the midst of a wilderness, you can begin walking towards Zion because as you walk through the wilderness, it becomes a spring. And as you walk through the valleys, it becomes a highway. And as you feel lame, spiritually or physically, you're able to leap like a deer. Why? Because the word of hope has entered into your heart and has changed your anxiety to anticipation. We're going to pray for some people this morning. We're going to pray for those who feel weary. We're going to pray for those who feel anxious. We live in a day and age where anxiety disorders are on the rise. And it would be easy to blame this thing or that thing. And it would also be easy to say that we've always dealt with this as humanity. It's just we're becoming more aware of it. I think both those things might be true. But ultimately, we are the people who choose to let God's word of hope ignite something in our heart so that our anxiety can become our anticipation. Most of the time when I feel anxious, what I'm actually doing is believing, <laughs> I'm putting my hope in the wrong kingdom. I'm anticipating a negative outcome. Now, I don't want to criticize you if you are struggling with anxiety. I have dealt with anxiety in my life, and it's often more physiological than it is mental. So what I'm not saying is if you deal with anxiety, just get over it or feel bad because it's your fault. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying the actual work of anxiety and how it affects your mind is it makes you hope in the bad outcome. It makes you anticipate more and more brokenness. It makes you anticipate an irredeemable world. And you have to think about how contradictory and how unexpected this word is that comes from the prophet Jeremiah. He says to a people who are dispossessed out of their homeland, longing to belong, he says, behold, your God is coming to save you. And it really doesn't matter whether you're on the right or the wrong side of this. It really doesn't matter whether you have any belief or hope or not. The word precedes the miracle. And the word sparks a fire of faith 
and the heart of those who are exhausted, who feel feeble, who feel like they're just barely hanging on. A lot of times as Christians, we think our job is to be victorious all the time. Oh, victory in Jesus. Hey, I'm blessed. How are you feeling? Are you blessed? I'm blessed and highly favored. My life is good. Nothing's wrong with me. Everything's perfect. When in reality, we suffer just as much as the world does. We're just aware of our suffering. Because we know enough to know that a better world is possible. And it would be easier, in a certain sense, in the face of sickness and death, to say, well, we're all just an accident anyways, and none of this really matters. Therefore, it's a tragedy, but what can you do? It would be easier to dismiss the notion that God is inviting us into a heavenly home than it is to keep hoping against hope when you're faced with contradiction after contradiction after contradiction. And I don't think you have to search very hard to find the places in your life where you feel weak and tired and anxious and where you feel the brokenness of life. To be honest with you, I think that's why people struggle around Christmas time because we know what it's supposed to be and we know the way life is. And this is actually how the season is designed to be. This is why the church, in, in, the, in the wisdom of the church calendar, this is why we take four weeks before Christmas to celebrate Advent, which is all about anticipation. It's about transforming our anxiety, transforming our pain, transforming our weakness and our tiredness into a place of anticipation where we expect the Spirit of God to come and save us. Not because we did something right, not because he loves us extra, not because we're the holy ones, but because that's who he is. And some of us struggle with the Christmas season because we haven't let the Holy Spirit speak a word of faith to our heart that allows our anxiety, be, our anxiety to be transformed into anticipation. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. You understand that this was probably thought of as a metaphor when the prophet spoke it. And then when Jesus comes along and fulfills this passage, what does he do? He actually heals the blind and deaf. We believe in a God who works miracles because miracles are a sign and a wonder that create a sense of evidence of the reality we're hoping for. Some people struggle with the fact that Jesus healed the blind but didn't cure blindness. But every miracle and every testimony is itself a seed that another world is possible. And God is equally concerned with not only bringing the miracle, but, but planting the seeds of hope in every human heart. So we're going to believe for deaf ears to be open, and we're going to believe for blind eyes to be opened. Now, I do want to say this one thing about verse 8. It says a highway will be there, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it. Now, I've heard this message preached. I've heard many people preach on Isaiah 35. 
And what they do is they make the text not about the incarnation, but they make it about the exclusive Christian holiness club. Okay? Now, we can talk about what the text meant then and there to Isaiah the prophet and to the people who were in exile. But we can also talk about the way Christ fulfills this scripture. It's really not about the incarnation if it's not for everybody. Because the whole world is hidden in the child who comes as the miracle who fulfills this passage. And so what's really funny about this verse, and and it's really interesting because I don't expect everyone to be a Bible scholar, but you're going to be surprised by how even our modern translations argue with each other about how this verse is meant to be interpreted. The end of verse 8 says this, It will not be, the unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks in that way, and fools will not wander on it. But another translation of the exact same verse says this, The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, will go astray. So there's two ways of understanding what the prophet is saying. One is, God's going to create a road back to belonging. And only those who are holy get to walk on it. And the ones who are holy get to walk on it, and the ones who are unclean don't even get to get on the road. They don't even get to turn onto the highway. It's just for the elect. Just for me and my fellow believers who've got our lives figured out. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Or, or, there's another way of interpreting it. God's going to set apart a roadway for us. He's going to call it the highway of holiness. No one who's unclean is going to be the ones who travel on it. But even fools who are on the highway can't fall off. Have you ever gone bowling with the bumper, the bumpers on the lanes? I suck at bowling. Like, I'm a terrible bowler. And as a 31-year-old man, a month ago, I went bowling, and I wanted the bumpers on the gutters. Because it's way more fun that way. Because it doesn't matter where you throw the ball you know you're going to knock the pins down at the end of the alley. The prophet Isaiah is saying that even though this way is going to be holy and the unclean are not going to be able to travel on it, the fools that end up on the highway are not even going to be able to fall off of it because God has consecrated it with compassion. Now, you could say that maybe the prophet Isaiah meant it to be just for the elect, just for the holy. But what I've discovered is that we as Christians are learning to walk in a way. You know, our faith was actually called the way before it was called Christianity. We are learning to walk in the way of Jesus. But what I've discovered is that we have just as much brokenness and contradiction as everybody else. Like, our, our divorce rates are a little bit lower, but not that much lower. We deal with sickness just like everybody else. We have relationship problems just like everybody else. 
What I discovered is that the incarnation is not the miracle for some of us, it's the miracle for all of us. Because God doesn't just come in the form of a human, he comes in the form of all humanity. And he, by his very nature, resolves and absorbs and heals the very brokenness we carry. And we're the ones who walk on this highway, not because we've got our lives figured out, but because we've discovered in the baby the miracle that makes it possible for all of us to end up moving toward God's world. This is why our faith is called the way, because we've discovered in the person of Jesus a beautiful truth, a hope-filled reality that is leading us to a better and better possible future. And even though our lives aren't perfect Even though our situations aren't fully resolved, we know as we follow the beautiful way of Jesus, we move closer and closer to his reality. And here's the beautiful part of Isaiah's promise that's fulfilled in the incarnation. Even if you're a fool, even if you're an idiot, you can't fall off the way. Even if you need a miracle and you stop believing for it. You're sick and you go, you know, I don't think God can heal me anymore. Guess what? Your miracle's still coming. It actually doesn't matter what you believe. What matters is what he believes. You're not saved by your faith in Christ. You're saved by the faith of Christ. What matters far more than what you can stir up in your own heart is what Christ stirred up in his. This verse is reassuring to me because I know a lot of fools. Like, I, I, I'm just being honest with you. Part of, part of the challenge that I've been facing recently is I've been interacting with a lot of fools. And I'm one of them. I do not exempt myself from the label. Please don't misunderstand me. But sometimes the brokenness and the contradiction is just created by people who make messes of their life. And you're like, I have no idea how God is going to save you. <laughs> I was having this conversation with my my wife just the other night. We were talking about a situation we're faced with, and I said, to be honest with you, babe, I have no hope. I am all out of hope, but I know Jesus isn't out of hope. So I'm going to lean on the reality that he creates for me. I'm going to trust that this highway of holiness has got bumper lanes on it. I'm going to trust that even when I think people are walking backwards or even when people are driving out of one ditch into another ditch, I'm going to trust that God's going to somehow get them to the end of the lane. (laughs) And the ransom of the Lord will return and will come with joyful shouting to Zion. And everlasting joy will be on their heads. They will find gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. This Sunday morning, this Sunday of Advent, is all about joy. And oftentimes we confuse joy and happiness, and we make joy about a condition of, a condition of glee that is insensitive to the problems and the contradictions of the world. That's actually not what joy is. Joy is the sense of life that springs up within you, even in the midst of your contradiction. Happiness is totally circumstantial. Happiness is $10 worth of tokens at Fuddruckers. Right? The fun only lasts until the tokens run out. 
And then you have to haul your screaming and crying children out of the play place. <laughs> but daddy, I just want 10 more minutes in these puke balls in the McDonald's pit. It's like, we're going to be okay, kid. Just let's go. Come on, please. Just get your jacket on for goodness sakes. Sorry, I'm just speaking from my own reality. <laughs> Joy. Joy is available to us all. Jesus said that the kingdom he brings is righteousness, peace, and joy. That's actually the substance. It's, I'd like you to think of it as the atmosphere of heaven. When you breathe in heaven, all you're breathing in is righteousness, peace, and joy. And joy does not ignore the realities of this world. Joy rises above it. Did you know that it says in Revelation that he is actually going to wipe away every tear from our eyes? Meaning that in heaven, we will still realize, we will still face the brokenness of this world, but he will give us a resolve and a healing that triumphs above it. I'm here to tell you a word of hope. Your God is coming to save you. I'm here to use language to strengthen your knees and massage your shoulders and say that regardless of your circumstances, whether they're big problems or small problems, whether you have a lot of hope or a little hope or no hope at all, God, by his very nature, is saving you. He's putting a highway in the wilderness and he's making it holy, which means it's never going to be ruined. There's never going to be construction on this road. I'm going to read one more passage and then we'll close. Luke 1, 46. I want you to see what this joy looks like and I want you to know what this miracle is going to be, okay? This is Mary's Magnificat. Mary gets the word that she's going to be impregnated by the Spirit with the Savior of the world. Big news. Then she goes and she visits Elizabeth because it's so beyond her realm of comprehension that she needs to spend time with the only other person in the world who has a miraculous pregnancy. Remember, Elizabeth gets pregnant because her husband, Zechariah, he's ministering before the Lord and the angel comes to him and says, you're going to have a child. The prayer that you no longer pray has been fulfilled. He no longer believes that they're going to have a kid. He felt like God promised them a child, and yet they've been struggling with barrenness. And now he's an old man, kind of like Abraham and Sarah. And the angel shows up and says, the prayer you stopped praying, the thing you stopped believing in, God's just decided to answer you. So Elizabeth gets pregnant with this baby, and when Mary comes into the room, little baby John the Baptist leaps with joy for little baby Jesus. And the testimony of Elizabeth establishes the miracle of Mary. Because the one person who's having the world's first virgin birth has no grid for it. The most supportive person in her life, her fiance, is thinking of getting rid of her quietly. She goes to her cousin who's having another miracle baby. And the joy in Elizabeth leaps for joy at the presence of the joy hidden within Mary. 
And here's what she says. She, she writes this worship song on the spot. It's very powerful. I think she, she could get signed to Bethel Music if she wanted. Mary said, My soul exalts in the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. We as people of the way are looking for God to come and save us. We as people of the way are the ones who believe that God still miraculously intervenes. But what Mary discovered, and what I hope you will consider, is that God's salvation does not come from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. God's salvation does not come from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. Mary is a 15-year-old girl who considers an unwed pregnancy to be the blessing the whole world needs. I'd like you to think this through. A 15-year-old girl in a culture where unwed mothers could be stoned to death thinks the baby in her womb is the miracle, not just for her, but for the whole world. I'm here to tell you today that God is coming to save, that he is going to create a highway in the middle of your wilderness, but the miracle is not going to come from the outside in. It's going to come from the inside out because Christ is being formed in you. This is the reason why we celebrate Mary and call her blessed. The reason why we celebrate Mary is because the, the statement, Christ in you, the hope of glory, was not a metaphor. It was not just a spiritual reality. Little baby Jesus was actually being formed inside of her belly. And Mary becomes the prototype for all of us. Because in the middle of our contradiction and our brokenness, what you have to remember is that God's salvation is not coming from the outside in. His rescue plan is not coming from the outside in. It's actually being birthed and formed within you from the inside out. And on the outside, it looks like a, another contradiction. From the outside in, it looks like an unwed pregnant woman at 15 is nothing but another tragic circumstance. But from the inside out, the miracle is being formed within her. And she rejoices because she considers the baby inside her to be the source of her joy. What I'm here to tell you today is that in the middle of your contradiction, Christ is being formed in you. The way of holiness, the way we're walking on, this highway, is not one where we get our whole life sorted out. It's not one where we fix all of our problems and we work as hard as we can to become a perfect person. The rest of the world puts their hope in saving politicians. The rest of the world puts their hope in spiritual practices. The rest of the world hopes in spiritual enlightenment. The rest of the world hopes that their good deeds will save them. 
But we're just like Mary. We're in the middle of our contradiction, and God comes with a word of salvation. Behold, Mary, highly favored one. Blessed are you among women. And we get this word, and something begins growing inside of us. It's this possibility of hope that contradicts our circumstances. And other people look at our lives and they go, you're still a mess. Everything's still messed up. This isn't good news. And the Mary in us goes, no, 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 no. This is excellent news. This is joy in the middle of my contradiction. Because even though my life's still messed up, even though my finances aren't good, even though my health's a wreck, Christ is being formed in me. And the thing that God is doing in me is going to be the miracle the whole world needs. And some of us are so desperate for God to come from the outside in and, and save us that we don't realize that the saving grace of God is being formed within us. And God will not save you without including you in the salvation. You are a participant in the miracle. So I want you to know today that if you're tired and you're feeling weak, I want you to know if you're anxious and you're struggling with sleep, I want you to know that if you're spiritually or physically deaf or blind, I want you to know that you are the perfect candidate to receive a miracle. Because everyone thought that the king Isaiah prophesied would come from the outside in, but Mary knew that he was coming from the inside out. And she looked at this miracle forming within her and she said, oh, my soul rejoices. I'm full of joy because of this baby within me. You could say it's just because she's pregnant. And sometimes pregnant women are really excited about their baby. But lots of times they just puke lots and feel terrible. <laughs> Some of the joy she's experiencing is the joy of motherhood. But another dimension of Mary's joy is the hope that what's being formed within her is the saving grace the whole world needs. This is the message I've come to bring to you today. What God is doing within you is the saving grace the whole world needs. All I'm trying to do is light a spark. All I'm trying to do is get you to consider a possibility. Even if you don't, even if you walk out of here and you're like, I'm just as discouraged as when I came. There's still bumper cars on the highway. <laughs> even, even if you don't listen to me, even if you don't believe me, even if, even if God comes to you in a dream and gives you a promise and you say, nah, must have been what I ate. <laughs> it honestly doesn't even matter. Because even if you're a fool, you can't fall off of this road. We're all being funneled toward one destination. And it's that God, by his saving grace, through the miracle of the incarnation, has included us all in his plan of redemption. So, if you are feeling weary or discouraged, I'd like you to stand. If you are struggling with illness, 
if you've been dealing with chronic pain, if you are struggling with your eyesight or with your hearing, if you have any eyesight loss or hearing loss, I'd like you to stand. We're just going to take the Bible very literally today. If you deal with any anxiety, any shortness of breath, any sleep disorders, I'd like you to stand. I want to make sure I got everything in the verse. If you want to stand, and I didn't say the reason why you should stand, you can also go ahead and stand. If you just need hope to come alive in your heart, that's really what this is about. And to be honest with you, this is not about me. Like, my, my vocal cords are pushing air out in a certain way, but this is actually about the Spirit's voice. Remember, Romans 10, Romans 10 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, okay? My words are not the Word of God, but my words can enlighten something in your heart as the Holy Spirit speaks to you directly. You have a direct line of access. All we're doing here today is we're bringing an opportunity forward for the Holy Spirit to speak a word of hope to your heart. And remember, he does it by his divine sovereignty. Mary's just a 15-year-old unwed girl. And an angel just shows up. Isn't that amazing? What's going to happen next is I'm going to just simply prophesy this verse over you. I'm going to read it to you. And I don't want you to work for it. I don't want you to try to earn it. I don't want you to be like, mm, okay, yes, God. I don't want you to do any of that. I just want you to stand there. Stand there and see the salvation of God and realize, become aware of the fact that Christ is being formed in you. Some of y'all about to get pregnant. Here we go. Encourage the exhausted, strengthen the feeble, say to those with an anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. The waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in Arabah. The scorched land will become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water in the haunt of jackals, its resting place. Greeds will become green, grass will become as reeds and rushes. A highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks in that way and fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there, nor will any vicious beast go upon it. They will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy, and sorrow and sigh will flee away. 